You are listening to motivational quotes and inspirational life stories from real life people just like you. I'm your host, Victoria Johnson. You can learn more about me and my number one best-selling book at victoriajohnson.org. It's time to share our experiences and motivate and inspire you. So let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. You are going to love our guest. Her name is Eliza Van Court. She is a speaker, a writer, a consultant. She has done a TEDx talk. She focuses on women's empowerment, communication, dismantling racism. She just does it all. She's also an author of the book, A Woman's Guide to Claiming Space. Stand tall, raise your voice, be heard. And I'm going to be sure to put the link to that in the show notes today. So I just want to say a huge welcome to Eliza. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to be here. Oh, we're so thrilled to have you. So first of all, I just like to say your website before we get started, because that way people can check you out while they listen. So it is Eliza, E-L-I-Z-A, Van Court, that's V-A-N-C-O-R-T.com. And when you hop over there, you'll be able to see everything that Eliza has going on. And she's also on TikTok under the same name, Eliza Van Court, where she entertains us and gives us loads of information where she has 90,000 followers. So go over there and be one of them. So I am really excited to ask you a few questions, for example, about your TED Talk. Can you oh. tell us a little bit about that and what the message is that you're wanting to share with people and how you've shared that way and how that message has evolved? That was a really interesting one because... <laughs> I was told by someone I should apply to do the TED Talk. And the TED Talk, I don't know if people know that they have themes. So you have to apply under a theme. And the theme was space. And at the time, I knew that there was this quality that women had that was really powerful. And I'd kind of broken down these five aspects of it in a kind of nebulous way. But I wasn't thinking claiming space. And my friend said, you should just apply, figure out a way to do it. And I thought, oh, women are not claiming the space they need to. I can use that angle because that's actually what I really believe. And I think we need to take up more space. And so it was really funny because we had people talking about, you know, nebula. And then we had me talking about <laughs> women, in, women in communication. So um, it was it was pretty fun. I had a really good time. And the basic message is that we really have the right to claim space and we're told that we're not. And we need to use in there are tools that we can actually employ to help us do that more powerfully and more efficiently. So why do you think that that still after all of these years is a is a real dilemma that women face? And, and I think there's a lot of guilt around it too, about claiming that space, standing yeah. in our own power. Well, I think it is multifactorial. I mean, first of all, we've been taught from a very, very young age that we're supposed to be nice. And I really differentiate between nice and kind. I mm -hmm. think nice is be nice, be a good girl, don't make waves. And kind is stand in your boundaries. You don't need to be unkind to someone, but you don't need to sacrifice yourself for another human being. And I think kindness should be the goal, not niceness. And I think as long as we're getting these messages when we're younger, that we should be nice and we should be small and we should defer to others, it's very difficult. I also think that it is actually wrapped up in institutional racism as well. And I think until we dismantle white supremacy, we're not going to be able to dismantle sexism. I think they're intricately mm -hmm. connected. Well, that does make sense. Absolutely. 
absolutely. And for every listener out there to really take those words that you just said about nice and kind to heart. I'm a Canadian. We are known worldwide for being nice. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's so many times I've held myself back because I'm nice. And what a great point to make that I can be kind in what I do, but set my boundaries. That's right. So yeah, absolutely. Great, great yeah, no, I think it's so important because nice doesn't, being kind is, you know, you have to be kind to yourself first. And if you're constantly seeding your boundaries left and right to other people, in the end, it never works well. And in fact, you usually stop being kind at that point because you're angry. <laughs> yes, the resentment, the resentment comes along. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen it time again. I've done it and I see it in, in personal relationships as well, where we can be such givers. And then there comes a point where it's over and we shift into a part of ourselves that is the opposite of how we want to be because of all of that pent up unreleased emotion and always right. sacrificing ourselves. Right. So you say that everyone has the right to claim space and that there are concrete steps to help us do that. Mm-hmm. Can you share some of those with us today? Sure. Well, first of all, I should probably define claiming space. <laughs> yes, let's go there. So, to claim space is to live the life of your choosing unapologetically and bravely. And I have a really different definition of bravery, I think, than most people. I don't believe that bravery is a lack of fear. I think there's nothing brave about doing something if it doesn't scare you. I mean, you see those men running into battle and they have pointy swords and you know everyone's like, they're so brave, they're not afraid. And I'm thinking, if they're not afraid, they're they're actually insane. Like there are sharp <laughs> things in that war, you know? Um, really, it's they're afraid, but they're doing it anyway. And to me, bravery is fear meeting action. It's being really afraid and doing something anyway. And that that is how you live your life unapologetically and bravely. And everything in my life that I've ever done has scared, that it's been meaningful for me, has scared the hell out of me. So I think that's the first thing. And the second thing is there are five aspects of claiming space that I talk about in the book. The first is claiming space with your physicality and your voice. So just take up both those armrests. You know, really, you should have one. Yes. You should have one. <laughs> but you make sure you are claiming at least one armrest. And if somebody is, you know, trying to impinge upon your space or you feel like you have to be quiet around another person, really learn how to own your your presentation in a way that is comfortable for you. The second one is networking, rising together, claiming space collaboratively. And one of the big focuses I have with that, which really actually is when my TikTok started to blow up, is making sure you get people out of your network that would harm you. So anti-mentors, for example, can poison a network. And so make sure that your network is positive, grow your network, but also protect your network. The third is claiming space, making sure that you are not seeding your space. And that's things like imposters syndrome or letting certain words silence you. The fourth is claiming space, making sure you're safe in any space. And that's dealing with things like interruptions, mansplaining, things like that. Yeah. And I actually have mansplaining cartoons in my book. Um, (laughs) So I thought I'd take first aid for choking and turn it into first aid for mansplaining. And then the last one is claiming space intersectionally. I think that when we rise together, we rise much higher. And sometimes to claim space, you need to seed space because you're not taking your fair share. And as white women, we need to examine that sometimes. Tell us more about that. Um, Step five. Step five. Yeah. Well, 
I think that <laughs> this is, we're going deep here. That's okay. <laughs> we're it's a going, safe space. Okay. <laughs> I think that a lot of actually, a lot of white supremacy hinges on white women. And that is because white men hold a lot of the power and we tend to align with whiteness over our womanhood. And so we are brothers are white. Our fathers are not always, but you know, our fathers are white. Our sons are white. I have two white sons. <laughs> and we, the truth is that when you are a white man in this society, there are things that you get for living <laughs> that mm -hmm. others don't get. Mm -hmm. And if you are a white woman, you benefit from that. So really, it's hard to really dismantle white supremacy because you're taking some of your by proxy power away. And I think that the moment that white women start to pivot and really align with our sisters, I think sexism and racism will fall. And I think that in many ways we are holding it up right now and have been. And historically, the feminist movement, and I consider myself a very proud intersectional feminist, but the feminist movement has been unbelievably racist and it has been to the detriment of our brown mm -hmm. and black sisters. Mm -hmm. I can agree with that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank absolutely. you for going deep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? I actually, if you want, I'll tell you a little anecdote that really I think hits it home. Please. So after George Floyd happened, I was on the phone with one of my girlfriends. She's a black woman. And we were talking about just how differently it is for white women, how different it is for white women to walk through the world and for black women and what intersectionality means. And she said to me, how did you feel when your son was born? And I said, oh, I was so happy. And she said... I was happy too, but I cried because I knew I would worry about him every day of my life. And I thought, oh, that's yeah. a mother issue. You know, that's an issue for all of us. And if we as white women aren't worrying about our sister's children, then what kind of feminist are we really? Oh, you know, that's such a good point. I have two sons myself, so I was able to really relate to what you're saying. And it never ever crossed my mind to have any fear. You know, things I thought about were, will they like sports? You know, I hope it's right. not hockey. Absolutely. <laughs> will and, I be driving them to hockey in the morning? Yes. Will they be nice to their girlfriends? You know, yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. Or whatever. And, but yeah, yeah. And, uh, exactly. you know, teaching them to be gentlemen and never, never crossed my mind. And then certainly not in that moment of joy and elation to have to consider worry. And so many Black women I've talked to since have told me the same story. This is really something for all of us to think about. And I appreciate you sharing it because I know that I am going to get off this podcast today with a new perspective. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to circle back to, I think it was in, was it in point number two where you talked about anti-mentors? Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit what more about what you mean by that. Sure. And if people want to go real deep, I have a whole series on anti-mentors on TikTok. That was my first post. Okay. Where really, where We're really going powerful. there. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was semi-viral. Now I have a million views on some posts, but at the time getting 45,000 views when it first started happening, I was like, woo! <laughs> it was very <laughs> That's exciting. amazing. Yeah, Good it was for very you. But I think it's because it really hits home for people. And mm -hmm. anti-mentors are those people in our lives that should be our greatest cheerleaders. They should be the people People that raise us up and instead they leave us feeling diminished and small. And they, they're the people that kind of make us doubt ourselves. And they often do something called intermittent reinforcement, which means that 
they will usually not, you know, be very nice. And then once in a while, they'll be wonderful. And you live for those moments and you keep going back to them hoping, but your behavior has nothing to do with when they choose to do that and when they don't. And there are several characteristics of them. Anti-mentors, they tend to brag about your accomplishments to other people, but when they're with you, they seem to diminish them. They say these really like, yeah, they say these kind of like, I call them emotional snipers, which is they say these comments that they can say in front of other people and everybody else around you doesn't see it, but they know you well enough to know that it will hurt you. And mm-hmm. so you kind of walk away going, wait, what, what, <laughs> what just right? happened? Why am I bleeding? <laughs> but everyone else can't see it. So it's very crazy making. They often are the people, they have more power than you. Like they're a parent or a coach or a teacher. And there's a great saying called, of course, your parents push your buttons. They installed them. <laughs> yes. Anti-mentors are often the installers of some of our of our buttons. And so it can be incredibly hard to disentangle yourself from an anti-mentor because often you are quite entangled with them. And learning how to do that can be one of the most empowering and freeing things of your life. Okay. So first of all, let me say you are brilliant. This is so true. And every single person out there listening right now, I know they're thinking of someone, someone yeah. that does this to them. Yes. How do we make it stop? How do we get away from it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny when I give my talks, this is when people start crying. And Mm -hmm. I I say the word anti-mentor and I say, think about that for a minute. And I don't even say what it is. And you can see this kind of thing going over people's face. And then when I start to describe it, everybody goes, ooh, because unfortunately, very few of us don't have an anti-mentor. Well, you would use a lot of the techniques that are similar to what you'd use when dealing with microaggressions, which is what I recommend. I mean, there are two different ways to do it. One I call Mortal Kombat because I'm a nerd. I'm a sci-fi nerd, which is you just go straight for the jugular and you call it out. But the problem is it's often so insidious and so subtle that it's so hard to call out. So the other thing you can do is ask a question. And if you ask a question, it can flip it back onto the other person. So I'll give an example that I talk about in my book. There was a I did, I have an anti-mentor in my family, a distant relative, but they're, they're around a lot, even though they're not that connected genetically. And um, they've been around my whole life. And I did this big speech for Girl Up. And the year before, this huge politician, Kristen Gillibrand, had been the, the keynote. So I thought, I was so excited. I did this talk. It went really well. And often these are the first people we go to for support, even though they're the last people we should go to. we It's like we're Charlie Brown with the football, you know? Yes. And so, you know, we're like, this time it'll be different. <laughs> They'll never pull it this time. So I <laughs> called them and they said, so, you know, how'd it go? And I said, oh, it was great, blah, 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 blah. And they said, oh, that's great. And then they said, I recently saw Elizabeth Warren give a speech. Now, if you want to see a really powerful woman, you should really go watch her speech. And, you know, it was so subtle, but I just felt like, oh, they couldn't even say good job, you know, and I didn't call my parents. I called them. Yeah. <laughs> and afterwards, I thought, because I they're the this stuff. You go That's ahead. right. And because those are the people that we keep seeking that approval from. Right. Because we have this sort of sideways view that since they're so critical, if they approve of us, then it's real. Yeah. Whereas if our cheerleaders approve of us, well, they're our cheerleaders. Why should we trust them? Which is so interesting because usually <laughs> it's our cheerleaders who see us the most. And so 
it's just, you know, we're going to the very people who don't see us to see yeah. us. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing, because I had been writing a book on it, <laughs> is I, you know, I said, it's interesting. It sounds like I'm wondering why you brought up the talk about Elizabeth Warren when I was sharing my experience with my talk. And that's all I said. I didn't I didn't say that you're so jerky, da da da. Mm-hmm. And they backtracked immediately and said, Oh no, 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 it's great. It's great what you did. It's great. <laughs> and it's a way because what they're counting on, they're counting on two things. Bullies are cowards. So they're counting on you not saying anything. But they're also counting on it being so subtle that you can't figure out a way to get them to call them on it. If you call them on it directly, they'll say, Oh, it's not a thing. But if you make them have to answer why then they have to engage deeper in what they said and they will either deny it, that is one thing that often happens, or they'll say, that's not what I meant. And I'll say, and then you can say, oh, well, made me feel a little sad that when I called about this thing, you mentioned this thing. And then they'll say, Mm -hmm. well, you shouldn't feel sad because that's how usually it goes. And then you can just simply go to, well, that's how I felt. Right. You know, it's so true. I love that you're not being confrontational, but you're standing your ground. Yeah. You know, protecting your space. And, you know, I can think of dozens just off the top of my head of times that that this has happened in those really big moments. So mm-hmm. it's such an emotional roller coaster because you're high, high, you know, in your situation, stepping off the stage, uh, right. feeling good. And then, the, you know, straight back down to the bottom with this comment that somebody probably won't even remember they said tomorrow. No, but they're doing it for a reason. I mean, they're doing it to diminish you. And and I don't think they're consciously often doing it to diminish you. Mm-hmm. And often it's because they're feeling insecure or you're a threat or intergenerational family systems. I mean, it can be deeper. They can be, you know, narcissists, but sometimes it's literally like that's what their their uncle did to them or whatever. But it doesn't matter. And what I always say to people is, you know, they say, Well, I don't understand why. Or if the person says, I didn't mean to, you know, my answer is it doesn't matter if you mentor or not, what matters is how it landed on me. Yes. Well, and speaking those thoughts out loud leads into courage. And like you said, people running off into battle with their big axe right. in front of them, they need to be afraid or they're going to be dead. That's right. right. That's <laughs> and, right. and when we t- talk about the human spirit, you know, that's something that can die as well. Yeah. And so really practicing courage and speaking up for what it is that is important to you. And you shared with me one of your favorite quotes about courage. Courage is the most important of all the virtues because without courage, you can't practice any other virtue consistently. You can practice any virtue erratically, but nothing consistently without courage. And that's by Maya Angelou. Can you tell us why that is so important to you? Well, I think that there's no way you can practice anything without courage because most of the other virtues are hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you have to be courageous to do it. And I mean, even if it's advocating for yourself, if you've been trained not to advocate for yourself, then advocating for yourself takes courage. Yes. You know, if there are times where, I mean, I know for me, there are times where I get really angry and I think immoral thoughts But the thing is, I always tell people, it doesn't matter what you think. I don't believe it matters. I think people think all kinds of horrible thoughts all the time. What matters is how do you behave? How Mm -hmm. do you respond to that Mm -hmm. thought? And I think that for me, so my family uh, on my father's side is Jewish. His father is a Sephardic Jew. And when, and his grandmother died in the Holocaust. She didn't die in the camps, but she died when the Gestapo raided their house. 
And my father took me to Anne Frank's house when I was little. And there was that poem, that famous poem that many, many people know, and I'm sure you've heard it, which is, you know, by that pastor who was in the concentration camp for seven years. You know, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not. And then it goes through all the people. And then it says, then they came for the Jews. And then he says, and then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out. And I think that for me, going through life with this idea that you have to not just be thinking of yourself as an individual, but thinking about the good of the collective takes consistent courage. I mean, I talk about race sometimes. I screw it up sometimes. And also some white women don't like to hear it. And I then get people not wanting to buy my book because of it. And I have to practice courage and talk about it anyway. Yes. Well, you are changing the world with what you do. And I want to say too, just emphasizing what you said about our thoughts. So often, you know, we judge ourselves because maybe we had a judgmental thought about someone else or we were really angry and expressing that in our mind. And these thoughts, again, like you said, are not the actions. It's how we act. And just because we think something doesn't mean we have to do it. I work with a lot of people with addictions. And that's one of the main things I say, just because you think it doesn't mean you have to do it. And to remember that we have the power to change the thought. And my mentor was Louise Hay. And that was you know, something that she always said too. It's just a thought and a thought can be changed. And so remembering to love ourselves and not be judging ourselves, but also standing our ground and protecting ourselves and going through these aspects that you talk about in your book so that we can claim our space. I am fired up and passionate about this. And as soon as this recording is over, I will be ordering your book. It is so important for everyone, but absolutely so important for women. And things will not change unless we make that change. I agree. I fully agree. Absolutely. I thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm going to put the link to TikTok, the link to your book, uh, to your website, everything in the show notes. Everyone listening, go get that book. Follow Eliza on TikTok. And before we go, Eliza, one last question. You told me that your name has a unique story. Let's hear it. Oh, well, it's about claiming space, actually. <laughs> so my mother, uh, when I was born, yelled out my name. You know, she said, Eliza, and she loved my name. And as I got older, I found a lot of people say Eliza or Eliza or Liza. And I felt like I didn't have the right to correct them. And, you know, my father calls me Eliza. You know, my good friends call me Eliza. And that's my name. It's how it's pronounced. And so I remember one day saying to someone, actually, it's Eliza. And, you know, just very cut, you know, actually it's Eliza. And they said, oh, okay. And I thought, oh, that's not a big deal. And the more, and that person treated me with a lot of respect. And I started to make sure that people were pronouncing my name right. And that my father always taught me to have a very firm handshake. And I have come to the conclusion that your name in many ways is your power. Mm -hmm. It is when you introduce yourself, you are saying, this is me. And so if you don't declaratively say who you are right off the bat, you are starting from a place of being diminished. And it's really, and if you start right from a place of, you know, this is who I am, this is my name, and I expect you to call me my name, not in a mean way, but just, you know, it's my name. I think people actually respect that. And right off the bat, they've you've told them, I'm someone who's going to set boundaries about what's important to me. Well done. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I encourage 
all of the listeners to remember what Eliza has said here. And, you know, again, about setting boundaries, it is not unkind. It is actually kind because you're not only doing yourself a favor, but you are doing them a favor by showing them what your boundaries are and keeping those in place and teaching them to respect you in that way. And as we all follow these steps and as we all just step into our own power and claim our space, that's when we make change. So thank you again, Eliza, for being here. And we look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you so much, truly. Thank you for joining us today. It is my true desire that you have been inspired and felt a sense of connection with the words being shared. If you have an inspirational story to share on how you have overcome adversity and created an exceptional life, please visit my website, victoriajohnson.org. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.